0: year's monster pods are brought to you by in the money plus this is our extra service to get even more information on the breeders cup special podcasts special write-ups grid picks from in the money talent etc we do this all year long not just for the breeders cup with in depth analysis daily for special meets like Saratoga and Del Mar. And we've got a really cool offer for you right now. You can also save $300 on a Race Lens annual subscription and receive a free one year subscription to In the Money Plus to get all those exclusive podcast picks and other handicapping content. Go on ahead to In the slash Race Lens to find the promo code to save that $300 on an annual race lens subscription. And if you just want to get in the money plus go to in the slash plus. Hello and welcome to our Saturday Monster Pod, bigger and better than ever. Nine more races to cover. A true all-star assortment of guests. You'll have me, you'll have JK, and you'll have a ton of great information. Just a reminder, there's a lot more great Breeders' Cup content you can get for free over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com and also at the In The Money Media YouTube channel. Go to our YouTube channel. Watch all those videos. Leave comments there. Very excited to interact with you about this year's Breeders' Cup. And feel free to reach out to me through the contact page over at inthemoneypodcast.com or on Twitter with any uh, questions you have about the Breeders' Cup. We've got a ton... Of great content coming up and would love for you to be a part of it so without further ado let's get to our first guest
1: next up we've got the breeders cup dirt mile i think it's probably the big ass fans and i just like saying big ass fans on things because you're allowed to um dirt mile a million dollars two turns on the dirt my good friend maggie wolfendale maggie what's going on
2: not much uh looking forward to seeing cody cody's wish for the breeders cup dirt mile again see if he can repeat.
1: Well, I'm excited to have you on because uh, we all know that uh, you offer an unbelievable opinion in the paddock on horse flesh, but you've been lucky enough to see Cody's Wish on a number of occasions. You saw him in what I thought was probably his best lifetime performance in the Met Mile. We were there for the Whitney uh, when he didn't run as well, and then for the Vossberg, where I think a lot of people are wondering, was it workmanlike, was it a trip, was it whatever – what are your feelings on Cody's wish? What is his best situation to run his best race? Distance, two turns. What are your thoughts?
2: His best situation is a fast pace around one turn. And I think the it, it was an honest pace in the Met Mile in which he, you know, had that devastating turn of foot and that's the way he he wants to do his running. And then in the Whitney, not that um what's his face? <laughs> the, uh, oh my gosh, I'm completely. Why of Barrio? Yeah, thank you. Why of Barrio. You're welcome. You've been Um, traveling. You just got off
1: of an airplane the other day. You're fine.
2: I'm a little bit jet lagged, to say the least. Uh, I can't think of, I can't even talk straight today, but, uh, you probably had a great time, JK. Uh, so (laughs) it's not like he was on the lead, but Cody didn't necessarily, I thought he'd be more forward in that, uh, Whitney to, to let him show that I think he is a horse that had shown that maturity within his races to maybe get the mile in an eighth. And then with the Vosburgh, uh, it was a slowish pace for those type of horses. I mean, I mean, lesser horses went faster over the same distance early uh, on that same card. So his biggest problem right now is the gate. That is the problem with him. And I remember talking to Junior Alvarado after the Vosburgh win, and it, it was the third time in a row. And... Yes, he had been drawn down on the inside, which a lot of times the longer a horse has to wait, the more opportunity for them to, to act up. But both in the Whitney and the Voss, where he was drawn outside. And so therefore, I think what has been happening, and Junior agreed with me, is that they think, oh, great, so I can just put him in and let him out type of thing. But rushing a horse like that isn't necessarily going to be the best thing. So I'm sure you know, there's been a lot of schooling, and I think the gate crew – and now we're dealing with a gay crew that doesn't necessarily know I'm out in California. It, it just, I think, you know, it could be a good thing in hindsight, in hindsight, but it could also not play again with him. You think of quality road and what that debacle was when he shipped out west. So, i it depends a lot on the draw, A, for Cody, and B, even more so, what kind of pace does he get to run at? Because last year, he got some pace to run at, I think, at Keeneland.
1: From a physical standpoint, Mags, do you think that he's the same horse he was in the Met Mile that you saw in the Vosburgh? Is he – Is he? some people will say maybe he's tailing off. What are your opinions in, in Cody's physicality?
2: So, Cody now, I think, has really kind of reached that physical maturity. Like, he's got this big old crusty neck on him. He's really, you know, really filled out. And so, what I'm kind of thinking of, I remember going back to when he beat um, – he beat Jackie's Warrior in the Vanderbilt, or I'm sorry, the Forego. Um yeah, yeah. He looked sensational, just, you know, really fit, streamlined. Every muscle was highlighted. Everything was where it needed to be. And now he's kind of bulked up a bit. And so sometimes I wonder, are we not getting a horse at its peak racing, um, you know, potential? Are we seeing a horse that's kind of going over to – what his next career might be, you know, that, that horse, it's getting a little too smart um, and maybe a little too cute, but again, he's Cody's wish and he's ultra talented. So I'm not, obviously he's not an immediate toss for me. I think a lot depends on how this pace plays out and how the track at Santa Anita is playing to, you know, front rudders versus closers. And is it a fair track?
1: Matt, who do you think will make the lead? You mentioned the pace uh, in this race.
2: I, I obviously <laughs> makes the race and I think it's really essential in this race. And uh, it sounds like Brad Cox and his team, they want to give Zozo the best opportunity that they possibly can with him. And they believe that that is go with this horse. And yeah, he's lightly raced, but as Brad said, he feels like he's a fresh horse. So therefore they can use that as their best weapon. As you mentioned too, before it's not like he's the fastest horse in the world. So I, Again, I don't think this race necessarily features uh, as quick of a pace, but I do think he is the one that could steal it on the front end.
1: Well, you you just came from across the pond yesterday. So I guess I should ask you about the other Godolphin horse, Algiers. What do you think about his chances?
2: Uh, Somewhat of a abbreviated campaign li- leading up to this Breeders' Cups. A shame we didn't get to see him over at the uh, Big A, so reroute to north of the border in Canada at Woodbine and a prep on to PETA. Okay, fine. He is a proven commodity on dirt dirt. He ran really, really well. I just went back and watched his uh, Dubai World Cup in which he finished second, a pace that incinerated. The winner um, that day came from well back from last. And I think he of the horses kind of attending the pace Forwardly the place by far finished best of all. So is it a little too, a little too late with him? is this really going to be his best gig? Yes. It feels like he might want a little bit more ground than this, to be honest.
1: Mags feet to the fire. I'm doing it to you. Thumbs up or thumbs down on Cody's wish. (laughs) Ah, That's fair enough. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time and we'll see you soon on TV. I'm sure.
2: Yeah, you'll see. Yeah, exactly. I'll I'll be holding it down in New York.
1: awesome thank you max
3: you're welcome
1: next race we're going to talk
0: about with its purse of two million dollars the breeders cup philly and mare turf and to talk about it with us we bring in a man who has uh, a veteran of the monster pods
4: talking about this race rick hammerley the hammer how are you my friend i'm doing just fine pete always a pleasure and i'm actually here at santa Anita, so i'm on site to do uh, you know to do our deal
0: I love it. And that's a good place to start, actually, because, as you know, from studying this race for many years, it's a weird one in that it's run under a lot of different distances, et cetera. And this year, we're going back to the mile and a quarter at Santa Anita. But we do have that downhill start. And I wonder how much that could affect the outcome of a race like this. What do you look for in particular for this year's running in terms of like maybe a running style that's going to be advantaged or something along those lines?
4: Well, as you mentioned, Pete, let's just, let's just get back to that. This, this race doesn't take its distance with it. Uh, so last year at Keeneland, a mile and three sixteenths, the year before that was a mile and three eighths and we're back to a mile and a quarter here at Santa Anita. So, you know, sixteenth of a mile here and there, maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't. But, uh, the unique part about the race here at Santa Anita, as you mentioned, is the first portion of the race will start on the hill and it's not terribly far up the hill. They're, they're really kind of going, they're just basically jogging down over the dirt and picking up, picking up a position as they go into like that half of first turn there. So yes. I, I don't see any change, any in particular changes that you have to worry about uh, if it was starting on the flat um, It actually probably thins them out a little, even a little bit more as they, as they straighten into the stretch for the first time. So, um and i don't know whether that ad- takes advantage of a, of an early an early uh early position horse like an italian obviously he's going to be shooting for the lead you know going downhill is that going to help her you know get to the front faster maybe uh but she's natural speed and i don't think that that's going to help her or, or do anything to you know make her that much more advantageous or take away so uh we we kind of You know, this race is run with uh, uh, different distances and, you know, usually kind of a different type of field every year. So it's hard to get a pattern on run style. Um, So we'll just take it as it it comes along. But uh, uh, just a few general generalities of the race. So this year, it's going to be run as the fourth event on Saturday, which is earlier in the card than it normally is for being, you know, a a nice long-term Breeders' Cup race. Uh, It's part of two pick fives. It's part of one regular pick four and it's the start of Saturday's all turf pick four, which encompasses races four, six, eight, and 10. So ever since Keeneland started that uh, all turf pick three, it's kind of taken off and it's, you know, it's a good idea. And I think they're going to have a dirt one here too. So, uh, you know, basically every race is going to start a pick something and, and it uh, seems to be the way to go. But uh, anyway, that's the way that goes. Uh, so this race has, literally been dominated by two things, Europeans and Chad Brown. They've won 12 of the last 12 races. <laughs> and, and not only that, and, and granted, they've had probably 50% at least of the entry. So it's, you know, it's not really crazy. But when you think about in the 12 years, in the first two slots, the 24 slots, 22 out of 24 are Chad Brown or Europeans. And in the, and in the Superfecta, 38 of 48. <laughs> so, so the, what's really crazy is so taking that into account so let's just say you're able to narrow that down to just that group the f- last time a favorite has won this race is 2013 and before that it was 2006 so the the you you can if you do the work you you get paid and uh so an average win payoff for the last uh six seven years i think was it was nine to one so including Adoria, which we, we talked about on your podcast, at 17 to 1. Last year was $10 uh, uh, with Tuesday. So you, if you do the work here, you're going to get paid, even though it, it looks like you can narrow the field down immediately. Uh, so w- what that means to me uh, is not necessarily the, the highly touted European is getting the victory. They, they're, they're winning their share, but it's not necessarily, and obviously not the favorite. So uh, keep that in mind as we go on. Um, it's, it's funny. It's funny that, that one other crazy thing, and this has been run. this will be the 25th anniversary of this race. And not one horse that has made the previous start in California has won. That's interesting. It's kind of an oddball thing. I don't know where I started keeping track of that, but I started going back and, you know, I mean, I've had some decent horses that have run in California, but none of them. So there, there's a couple in here that fit that bill and, and we'll go over it um you know one one filly that's that's noticeably missing is is warlike goddess and she's only missing from this race to run in the longer and more lucrative uh mile and a half against the boys later on in the day and mile and a quarter you know she probably could be fine in here but she prefers to go the mile and a half distance and you know when you're that good you might as well take the shot for the i think that one's four million and it it suits her distance but she would be I would I would say she would be the favorite in here if she was running in here, and that's two years in a row that she's she's gone for the longer one. And last year she finished third, and uh, so she does fit with them. So uh, you know, uh, um, this year's race doesn't seem as strong to me from top to bottom. Uh, the, There's some well represented Europeans, but they don't seem to be even as deep as they as they were in years past. They've sent some sent some good ones over, but usually you see the three or four or five that you can you know, maybe pick from. And uh, a couple of the ones that they have are going to be probably first and second choice. Sure. Spiral
0: and warm heart are certainly going to attract a a huge part of the, of the market. But I take your point about that. It's not always the best fancied European. Who's the one you want to land on. And then, you know, you talk about the Chad Brown factor in this race. I do think with this slightly shorter configuration, in Italian, maybe a chance to go one better than last year. How seriously do you take her chances in this race? Well,
4: you know, I, I want to mention one, one, one more thing, Pete. Uh, Gina Romantica, uh, one of, uh, of Chad's horses, is, is preferred in the mile. That was her first preference, uh, uh, so and she got into that event. So we're, we're, at this point, we're looking for her to run in the mile. So she will not be at will not be running in here. And as I was looking at her PP's, looked like mile was her distance. Uh, So that explains that, but you know, you you always take your, you never know. Uh, You got until Monday to make your decision in case, you know, some horses were to drop out uh, at the last minute. uh, At least you're in it. So you got to, you you have to cover your, cover your bases in Italian uh, was uh, was my selection last year uh, after coming off that uh, Diana race. I think it was where she just literally ran, ran them off their feet and, She's coming off a race where she uh, in the was, I think believe it's the first lady at Keeneland, where she went 10, 10 flat, 10 and change, and tried to run them off their feet there going a mile. And I think she needs to slow it down just a little bit, a little bit. She's gonna, she's she's one of those need need to lead. And if there was five speed horses in here, she'd still be in front. You know what I mean? So I think she's gonna comfortably get in front. And it's just a matter of how how much they can save for the stretch run. And, you know, she doesn't give it up easily. She, she, it took Tuesday the whole stretch last year to to get to her and finally ran her down late. And I, I see the same type of scenario here, without a doubt, she's probably going to get the lead. And I'm going to say she's going to have the lead turning for home. And uh, if she's able to be pressured by anyone uh, along the way to, to make her go maybe faster than she should. Uh, you got a chance to run her down, but she's, I, I mean, she's going to be in this, I, I'm going to say she's going to be in the exacta uh, again. Uh, you know, I, I see as we, as we run through the field here real quickly, I mean, closing remarks is a nice California horse here. I actually run running 21 stakes out of her 23 starts and made a nice living. I, I don't think she, she's this type. Uh, it's a local, local John Harris, one of California's all time breeders, and it's a and it's uh owners and breeders. It's a home game for him, so I don't blame them for you know giving a shot. The horse like Santa Anita Didia came here for the winning you're in uh Rodeo Drive last month or earlier in this month and won handily. She's done well in the Midwest, she's done great since she's come here from Argentina. She's the better of the two and always been there. Once again, I mean, she can fill out the Superfecta. she gotta, she gotta, got to that California Jakes going for her. But she runs every time. I don't know if she's quite up to the task here, but she will be trying uh, at the end. Now, here's a horse that, that leads the Canadian trio uh, coming out of the EP Taylor. You got uh, Feb Rover, the winner uh, with the Moonlight, and Mo- Moira, one, two, three coming into that race. So you have to ask yourself, does that race in its entirety fit into here or not? In other words, if you like one, you got to like them all. <sighs> I just don't know. Uh, Fev Rover is, is, is a versatile type uh, runs well on the lead. Uh, last time uh, in the EP Taylor, if you watched the, re- if you watch the replay kind of an odd, odd, uh, odd positioning for him, he was in front and then he dropped back to third And then he came running again on the inside and and literally drew, drew away from the field again. So a very versatile type, he's going to have to be forwardly placed to stay with uh, in Italian. I think to have a chance. Uh, I, I, I do like him best of, of the three he's in a weird pattern. His last eight races are lose, win, lose, win, lose, win, lose. He's coming off a win, you know, kind of goofy, but he's on a lose pattern right now. Uh, you know, as much as you want to look at that, but he, he'll be running Gina Romantica uh, would be a late, uh, she would have been a great uh, uh, late horse in here, but I'm going to count her as not running in Italian. We talked about, uh, it's just amazing. I mean, she just, she just runs her eyeballs out and, you know, the mile and a quarter is as far as she's ever been. And, you know, sometimes those speed horses can can slow it down, and and the longer they go, the farther they can go. So it's just going to be a matter of how much she's she's forced to go early. If she can keep that, you know, that three quarters, you know, in in like the one twelve range instead of one ten, that'll really help her chances turn her for home. Uh, you mentioned uh, in Spiral from from uh, the John Gosden barn. Talk about a wind machine, yeah. uh, right? So this this filly's won eight out of twelve, coming off of of two Grade One wins. Uh, in, in Newmarket and Doville And, and it's really odd. I looked, she's only run around two turns in her entire career, right? She's run two, one turn miles. So she's going to go three turns here. She's going to make more turns in this race than she has her entire career. Right. I mean, if I'm looking at the right, and she's never gone further than, than a mile. So some questions here, she's going to be one of the top choices. And like I said, I mean, there's no reason why she can't go. I mean, frankel. Excuse me. I probably can run all day. Uh, but she hasn't. So if you're looking for a, a hole or two, uh, you can find it. Uh, but I wouldn't leave her out of too many gimmicks, uh, to tell you the truth. Uh, Lindy, a three-year-old filly. Now, three-year-old fillies have won this race four out of the last seven times, including last year. So let's not put that aside. As you know, in Europe, uh, it's not a big deal for the three-year-olds to face the roller, especially uh, later in the year lindy comes out of the qe2 you know that race was early early after the entries drawn I was hyped as being wow this is one of the one of the better races around and then come post time i think there was three or four scratches and there was two horses below two to one i think in there and it was very formful lindy came running uh there's not too many late runners in here i'm not a huge fan of 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 the philly but you know what Watching that replay, she would determinedly was running late and one of the few in here that can do that. So she might be on the ticket to, to pick up a minor spot late if some of the front runners come back. So, uh, you know, keep your eye on Lindy. Uh, Lumiere Rock, this is one of the, this would classify, Pete, as one of the value of type horses that maybe we were talking about earlier. Not the most decorated. She's only won two out of, two out of her 11 starts but the last race was very good running on arc day uh, out of the, out of the, out of the Philly version of the arc, uh, which is a very good prep for this race. And the race before that, she wanted a mile and a quarter at the current. So she's getting good at the right time. And, you know, you're going to get, and if you look at her line, she's not bet well uh, in her career. She only gone off the favorite one time and she has run with warm heart. So, you might get eight eight to one ish or something on, on her. So this would be a good value play. I I'm, you know, I'm gonna keep my eye on her. And uh, she just looks like she's 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 fit a little. It fits this rather well. So um Lumiere Rock. We'll put a little circle around around right. her. Uh Chad Brown, uh Mikulik, Uh ran well early. Uh, you know, one that won a couple races, uh, those Belmont uh, Oaks type races. We're not sure how how good they were. Uh, Has been a good grade two, grade three performer since. I just see her as just a little bit of a cut below. I hate to say that about a Chad Brown horse. You got to be worried. Those are the ones that come and bite you. But she's been, you know, she's been two to five in her last couple starts against some weaker competition. Uh, This is a little bit tougher for her. So I'm going to probably pass on her. Uh, Moira. You know, was, was a very celebrated three-year-old last year in, in Canada and, and loved to run those races with the little R, with the square around it, the restricted type, uh, and cleaned yeah. up and won a lot of money. And then had, had to go into open company and has run well, but hasn't fared uh, a, a, as good as a four-year-old as maybe we thought that when she was going forward. Right. Uh, she ran a little flat last time, uh, you know, loomed up in the stretch and then kind of hung late. So off the last race, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a pass on her as well. State Occasion, uh, another one of these uh coming over for Ralph Beckett, who's sneaky. This horse comes out of that same horse, same race on Arc de la uh, Opera. Is that good?
0: That's it. Pre de uh
4: Only got beat two lengths. So that was her best race this year. And she's, she's only won one race this year. But that was her best event. She went off at 27 to 1, then got beat two lengths. And was, 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 was doing well at the end. And, you know, this is one of those ones where it, it's going to take, it's going to be like that last minute crossed out if I do. But this, 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 this one could be okay again. Only because the last start was her best start. And coming into this race, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to be, I'll put her in the top five. Put it that way. I, I'm not right. ready to toss. Then we get to warm Heart. And uh, as I was looking at the PPs, I I know in alphabetical order, but I just wrote stop, like stop right here. Let's take a look at this one. Yeah. Who's won five out of eight? The same connections as last year's winner, uh, a Tuesday. Uh, the ownership and, and Aiden O'Brien obviously he knows what it takes to uh, to to win this race. Comes off two two races, both in a mile and a half, so she's shortening up a little bit. I, I don't take that as a concern. Uh, grade one victories. Uh, what can you say? Probably going to be the favorite, and probably well deserved. And looks like the kind of like, yeah. If you had to pick one, I would probably pick her uh, to say, yeah, I'll take her. So I, I mean, I can see her and in, in Italia, you know, uh, coming down the stretch a little bit. There's one thing about her though. If you look deeply into the into the into the lines, the comments stumbled badly, held up, prominent. So, so so she stumbled a little bit at the start last time, and I, I read into that maybe that's it. But going a mile and a quarter, I don't know, in these long-distance races, she could she could be fine. I don't know. I see her as very, very, very tough in here. Win Maryland from Japan. Now, if you remember, in 2019, Japan had a pretty good Breeders' Cup here. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, so I think they said, you know what? It's an easy ship for them, so to speak, coming, coming this way. And they've sent seven this year, including Wynn Maryland. And uh, if, if, you know, when you, when you would categorize the thing, if you want to say bomb, this would be the bomb to me. She, she, back in December, she won one of the most prestigious race, races in Asia, the Hong Kong Vos, you know, unexpectedly, she five to one, has thrown in, you know, let's say three pretty much uh, clunkers since. But the fact that she has that in her, and she's coming over here, probably meeting weaker competition in general. Uh, win Maryland. Um, she's going to be on a few of my tickets, uh, even on the win end, on on some horizontals, just because of the of that Hong Kong Bosu win. And it was only three starts ago, so that, that's a very important race to me. And uh, she can handle the distance. And they, yeah, uh, she's won four million, but you can't, you know, we can't. <laughs> that's Japanese by four point eight million. You just kind of look at that and you go, wow. But um, anyway, a, a veteran. She's had 20 starts, and like I said, this is my bomb. If there's going to be one, it's going to be her. And then with the moonlight on the outside, uh, finishes up that 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 Canadian trio coming out of the EP Taylor. Uh, she did run seconds. She's been competitive within Italian and shorter distances. Uh, I, I I it's Charles Appleby. I hate to, and the Godolphin connection, and they they've they haven't done as well this year as they have in years past over here in, in the states but uh i i'm'm not, I'm not look at my my notices This I'm not biting I'm not biting on this one, so <laughs> I'll, I'll wait so and in, 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 in going over the whole thing I had to pick uh you know three horses on the win end I mean the obvious ones you know in, a, in Italian in Spiral and warm heart, they look like it, but some value plays is Lumiere Rock, and my bomb is uh is Win Maryland great I mean,
0: stuff. Great stuff, Hammer. Appreciate the time and care and attention to detail you put into this. There's some excellent ideas for exotics there. And uh, in Italian right now, in international markets, a big, big price, actually, uh, over 10 to 1. So that that's one that I think will be a lot shorter on the day. And I agree, has to be invo- involved in those vertical
4: exotics. Hammer, we'll see you out there. Oh, great. We'll see you when you get here. See you at the races, I like to say. <clears throat> All
1: right. right, three, two. One. Sarah O'Bodwe, I got it right. You taught me well this summer. I got you here to talk a little bit about the million dollar, seven furlong Philly and Mare sprint. And I think the conversation obviously has to start with Goodnight Olive, the defending champion. Where are your thoughts uh, as it pertains to Goodnight Olive?
3: Well, I thought this was a horse that, at the beginning of this year, we kind of thought that she was maybe tailing off a little bit, perhaps not the same goodnight olive that we saw coming into last year's Philly and Mare Sprint, where she was victorious. But based on her last race, a good second in the ballerina, and basically replicating the best buyer speed figure that we had seen from her in the past in her attempt to defend that ballerina title, you could say that she's still heading in in pretty good form, whether you think she lost a step on her way there, I think that last race proves that she is still the same type of horse we saw last year. And with Echo Zulu out of the conversation for the Breeders' Cup and thankfully healing from her surgery that she recently had uh, and doing better each day, uh, so thoughts with her, of course. This is a situation where I don't know that she's necessarily facing the toughest competition she could have been, and she'll be tough. I don't have a big argument against her.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think that a lot of people could make the mistake by, you know, thinking that maybe she hasn't been the same horse. I I think she had some circumstances early in the year that kind of led to the reason she wasn't the same dominant horse she had been previously. But I also think that I'm a strong believer that her last race where she was beaten by Echo Zulu was probably the best race she'd run all year, arguably maybe in her life. Right. She was kind of taken out of her comfort zone, having to chase that freak around the racetrack and then was still able to kind of hang on and run a speed figure that was the best that she had to run all year. So uh, I think she's going to be pretty tough to beat. I, I think she could possibly be the shortest price favorite um, that we see over the two days. We'll see what happens with Tamra and the Juvenile Phillies. Sarah, was there any other horses in here that you thought might be interesting from a pace standpoint or even just from a maybe improving standpoint, kind of a price horse that you kind of had your eyes drawn towards?
3: You know, I wish that there was somebody that was that intriguing type of long shot. I think a horse like last year in the Distaff staff that will appeal to a lot of people that I'm not particularly interested in is society. This is another Asmussen horse who has shown some good early speed, but I think that her victories where she has really shown up with those sort of eye-catching performances and those higher numbers, they've been aided by a speed-biased racetrack, whether it was last year at Parks, in that cotillion, or earlier this year at Ellis and even Charlestown. She's a horse that I think a lot of people will be into that I'm not really interested in. A horse that I hope does show up that is listed online, at least in the probables, is Desert Dawn for Phil D'Amato, a horse that's outrun her odds a couple of times. If she ends up playing, she will have to take a step forward, but that's one that I'm eager to see in the lineup of this field.
1: Yeah, I think one interesting thing about Desert Dawn is last time she ran in the Zenyatta going a little bit longer. She'll kind of be one of those cutback horses. And those horses seem to run well, in my opinion, when it comes to the Philly and Mare Sprint. Obviously, the boys sprint or the, the open sprint um, is six furlongs. but The Phillies and the Mare's will go the seven. So I think it kind of plays to some horses maybe cutting back because, you know, there, there's that, that uh, you know, they don't want to go a mile and an eighth against some of the monsters in the distaff. Let's try this a little bit shorter. So I think that's interesting as well. So I'm guessing by what you said, I'm not going to hold your feet all the way to the fire. Pre-entries, we recorded this on Wednesday. Pre-entries come out at noon today on Wednesday. This will probably come out after that. So forgive us if someone entered in here we didn't see or know. Um, Are you with or against Goodnight Olive?
3: I am with. I'm not going to try too hard to beat her. I'm going to try to use somebody at a price underneath. That'll be how I approach this race and getting some sort of price in the exacta and trying to key her on top.
1: Sarah, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, good luck with your Breeders' Cup wagers.
3: Thanks for having me. Perfect. Excellent. That was
1: it. Nice and easy. Cool. The $2 million
0: Breeders' Cup mile, one of my personal favorite Breeders' Cup races, is up next. And to talk about it, we bring in a returning guest. You've seen his work with the horse racing. You've seen his work with tennis. He's Richie Prasad. Richie, how are things? Peter,
5: I'm fine, thank you. Uh, Actually, I'm I'm better than fine. I'm I'm getting close to returning
0: stateside, so I'm I'm pretty excited about where we are in the calendar. Fantastic. Well, you've uh, been a big part of the Breeders' Cup broadcast in years past and certainly have an exciting contingent of international runners. And this race, like the turf, a true international clash When you look down at these pre-entries that we're now fortunate to have in front of us, what names do you think are the most interesting to start with for our discussion? Well, boringly, and I hope you don't mind, I'll
5: start with Godolphin's horses in the race. Um, Obviously, uh, last year's winner, Modern Games, sadly retired through the season. I thought he would have been great to return uh, back to the Breeders' Cup, I thought Santa Anita would have been great for him. Obviously, he's gone now and he's got another career ahead of him. Um, but his sister is lining up for the race, and that is Morge. Uh, so the trend of a Breeders' Cup winner or so oh, out of the dam, uh, modern ideals might continue. So I like Morge. Um, she has only had uh, two runs in the European campaign this year, but obviously raced in Dubai earlier in the season, and there is very little doubt that she improved enormously from two to three. When she won first time out in Dubai at Maidan, I think a few people questioned whether she might have been lucky in that race. One or two horses got caught up in traffic, made up a lot of ground. But then she came out on fast ground over a mile. She stepped up in distance on her second start, um, obviously going left and she was by eight and a half lengths, and she beat a good horse that day. But, of course, it was in Dubai, so everyone got a little bit uh, kept their feet on the ground about exactly how good that form was. She goes to the Guineas, a little bit underrated because of that, because of the fact that her trial runs were in Dubai. It's been a long time since Saeed Bin Saro has had big top-level success, far less in a classic. And she goes and she outbattles Tahira. Even then, at that point, because going into that race, uh, Dermot Well, the trainer of Tahira, made it crystal clear to everyone that she probably wouldn't be quite at her best. Uh, she travelled up really nice. And then Morge quickened away from her or just battled her at the end. Uh, and so everyone thought, well, okay, maybe Tahira is the better filly, and Morge slightly flattered by the position in the calendar, etc. But I like the fact that Morge has come back out. And I thought she put up a, a terrific performance to win uh, when she traveled over recently. I, I thought she was too keen in the early part of the race. She had to, Ashin uh, Murphy had to use a bit of petrol early on and then sl- slot in towards the rails to, uh, negotiate the slightly wider draw. I, I thought she was really good over a distance she'd never been before. Nine furlongs, obviously dropping back to a mile. Um, I, I think if I think hard to beat, she's very gutsy. She's got a great attitude, and I think she's underrated. Still, I mean, the, the European book or the British have her around the nine to two mark. They've got one or two others just ahead of her: Master of the Seas, Songline, etc., just ahead of her in the market. I'd make a favourite.
0: I'm a huge fan of Maj. I was lucky to be there that day at Keeneland. Totally agree with you. Very fresh, off the bench, pulling early. I think this truly run mile is gonna suit her. And it's one of the things I love about the Breeders' Cup mile as a race. Typically, no breathers. It's a mile, but it plays like a sprint. They go hard. And I could see Maj just getting to drop her head and and not get keen and have plenty left for an explosive finish. Wouldn't be surprised at all if Godolphin make it uh, three on the bounce with three different horses in the Breeders' Cup mile. Let's move on to uh, Master of the Seas, though, another horse that certainly goes with a chance. It's my suspicion that he was particularly suited by the Woodbine configuration, that slightly more galloping mile. And while he certainly ran creditably the last day at Keeneland, I wonder if others aren't just a little bit better suited to the tight two turn mile than master of the seas will be. Am I underrating him? I think the one thing he does, Peter, is he
5: travels really well in his races. And you've seen that anyone who's watched his runs this year and in the past, even in the guineas at Newmarket, when he was second, just touched off by a poetic flair all those years ago. Um, He he strongly in his races. And I've, I would assume that the tighter, the tighter configuration of Santanita will play to his strengths. The only thing I think about him is I just don't think he represents the strongest level of form if everybody turned up and produced their best. Yes, he's a very good horse, very credit, creditable uh, performer. But uh, the level that he's produced in certainly the last two seasons, certainly this season, I think just leaves him with a little bit to find. I mean, he should have won against... If he, if he was the horse that we all thought he was, or maybe we thought he once was, then I think he should have beaten up to the mark last time out. But up to the mark, probably a little bit unlucky he didn't beat him by further, given the way the race unfolded. So that's probably Master of the Caesars level. Um, even the race before, the, uh, uh, Woodbine, you talk about Shell Spate, didn't get the best of runs in that race. I actually think Shell Spate might be a player at what would be an attractive prize if you're looking for win play show or each way betting um i, I thought he was a horse that i put in the mix shell spate he's travel season uh, international um competitor and has shown really good form wherever he's gone in the world so out of that i know i think um uh, master Seas was two to five in the betting when he won at woodbine as opposed to um shell spate who was i think four uh, five or six times that price I- i'm of the two i thought
0: shell spate ran a better trial and I think it was pretty clear going in that Charles Spate was going to be short for that and certainly has the scope and room to come on. A very interesting long shot idea. have to ask you about one of the horses that I think is the most, one of the most interesting international raiders on the entire uh, two days of the Breeders' Cup. That song line, they wanted to bring her over last year. There was a setback. Uh, this year, things have gone a bit more according to plan. We saw what the Japanese horses did two years ago at the Breeders' Cup. Could Songline make it yet another success for Japan? Of course she can. Uh, It's pretty obvious that the Japanese
5: contenders now, no longer do we treat them um, quite as, perhaps as flippantly as we once did. Um, And and that's being, I think that's being honest. I think a lot of people thought, well, they've got good horses, but they're not quite at the level. But that that sort of um, perception is gone now. Um, It's pretty obvious over the last three, four, five, six years, they are a, a very strong force in the game. That in itself is enough to respect any Japanese contender that lines up at the Breeders' Cup or any international big race event. But I, the thing about Sa- Somalhane, I think that makes her a really worthy contender, is exactly the point that you referred to about the configuration of the course, bit of speed in the race, um, will not go amiss. And the fact is, she's obviously very good over shorter distances as well. She travelled to um, Saudi. Um, and She won over seven furlongs. She beat Casa Creed, who's also entered in the mile. Um, and that was over seven furlongs. Uh, obviously, the way she's been campaigning this season, you know that you know, this has obviously been a plan. Obviously, they wanted to come last year. It didn't work out. I, I think she's an obvious contender. Uh, you know, I feel that Morge has still got more potential, which is why I lean toward her as my number one pick. But my big danger wouldn't be Master of the Seas. It wouldn't be Paddington.
0: More likely to be uh, Songline of, of the main contenders. Any others we should mention in this very early look at what promises to be a thrilling running of the Breeders' Cup mile? Well, I, I mean, obviously Paddington's in there. Um, he's had the most magnificent
5: season. Now, if he does turn up, Peter, I, I would be against him, seriously against him, especially if my reading of the weather forecast is correct and the fact that it's going uh, to be a dry week and we'll get proper fast ground. It's just looking through his form and looking through his pedigree I, go, I have a feeling that Paddington's run in the Judmont International, when he was eventually third behind Mostadath um, and Nashua, it came on really quick ground. And you look through his, all his form, all his family's form, the best of it all came on fast ground. Sorry, on, on, on heavy ground, soft ground, or with cut in the ground. Um, and he then had a long break after that run to perhaps lead me to think that maybe it wasn't just, maybe I'm being... I don't know, you know, you know, you know how we play the game these days. We come up with our own little theories so because we all think we're so bright. Maybe I'm just being stupid. Um, but he had a long break after that, Jumbo International, having been campaigned so hard. So you can understand connections giving him a little bit of a break. But it's but perhaps maybe he just backed away from it because of the ground. Um, and I know that it was obviously very soft, very heavy ground at, at Ascot when he came back. And he was too keen, but he was beaten a country mile, as we say. Um, so I would be against him were he to turn up. Kalina, who ran at, and beat Kim Ross. Um, obviously, Kim Ross was a bit unlucky in the race 12 months ago, as you well know. He could, with a better run, have beaten Modern Games, um, and that obviously ties in with Charles space etc. Kim Ross not here this year. He's going to Hong Kong. Um, and Kalina beat Kim Ross uh, at the ARC weekend. I would include her in my calculations as well. I think she's got, uh, as a French ch- you you know, when when the French come over for the Breeders' Cup mile, their history is pretty good, you know, except Miesque. uh, Obviously, the the great Philly Goldrakova, even Dome Driver, etc. We pay attention to when the French have a runner in in the mile. And she's got better. She had a blip mid-season, but an early four behind Blue Rose Seine in the Guineas, where maybe a little bit unlucky she wasn't closer that day. That's good enough to put her in the mix. But I think her run where she beat Kinross in France suggests that maybe she's just blossoming now at this time of the year. That was obviously over seven furlongs in the foray. Um, include her in your calculations. I, I mean, if you're, again, playing
0: exotics or et cetera, I'd have her in the mix. Terrific stuff, Rashid. We look forward to your work, Breeders' Cup week, and seeing you there. And I look forward to getting to uh, hang out at the Clockers Corner with you in the mornings. Godspeed, my friend. I'll have my stopwatch ready. <laughs> also joined by a special guest who has not been with us in a minute. And he's a guy who you probably already know. But if you don't, you need to be paying attention to his work. he does a phenomenal job. He's going to be a very big part of Daily Racing forms, Breeders' Cup coverage, which we're going to ask him about straight away. Also one of the most respected handicappers, morning line makers in the business. He's David Aragona. David, what's up, buddy?
6: Not too much. Happy to join you guys and chat some Breeders' Cup.
0: Excellent. Well, speaking of Breeders' Cup, tell us what you and Brad Free and others are doing over there for our friends that we affectionately call the place with the letters as far as their Breeders' Cup coverage is going
6: Yes, we've got a ton of Breeders' Cup coverage going on. You can go to the Breeders' Cup hub in the subhead on DRF.com. And just check out the pages for every race. We've got articles from, obviously, all the DRF reporters, uh, also co- uh, compiling top 10 lists. Brad Free and I are doing early odds for all 14 of the Breeders' Cup races. Brad's doing the Saturday races. I'm focusing on the juvenile races on Friday. So a lot going on over at uh, DRF.com.
0: We're going to focus on those Friday juvenile races a little bit earlier, David. But we, we sort of were kicking the tires on some things we might want to talk about today. And one race that came up in particular was the the, the Breeders' Cup Distaff as one that uh, you feel like might be an interesting place to, to wager. JK, I know you've got some thoughts on the Distaff as well. Maybe we'll kick off the show talking about uh, – Talking about that one, um, simply put, what are your thoughts on this race, David? Is one of the ones you're looking forward to potentially
6: wagering on? It just feels like so much has changed in the past several months as uh, some horses that were considered to be the top of the division have put forth some disappointing efforts, namely Nest and Clarier, And it just feels like there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot left to be settled in this division, both with the older Phillies and Marys, as well as the three-year-old Phillies. It feels like this race will decide uh, those championships. And uh, you know a lot of the top contenders just all are coming in with similar running styles. I mean, just going down the list, I mean, idiomatic, Adair Manor, randomized, and I suppose you could even throw in search results who has tactical speed a lot of horses that want to be forwardly placed in this race and a lot of horses that have been enjoying some favorable pace setups in their prep wins so it just feels like an interesting race to handicap just given the pace and how much uncertainty there is around a lot of the contenders coming in to face the toughest test that they have in their last few starts J.K., I know pace analysis is something that's huge
0: for you when it comes to looking at races. Not usually so for races that are still several weeks out and we haven't seen PPs, but I tend to agree with David. This is a, the rare race that I feel like I want to take a pace angle, even though we don't know who exactly is running yet. Is, is that the way you see it or you, do you sort of have your head around this a little
1: bit more than an average race uh, from several weeks out for that reason? Well, I just think like on an average Saturday, you know, I think connections try to get a little cuter on an average Saturday with a race like this, you know, maybe they try to experiment a little bit. Oh, let's just see if idiomatic will rate. Like that's not a converse. You don't, you don't do that on Breeders' cup day, right? You kind of dance with who brought you and her speed and getting loose on the front end, Brad Cox and Florange Leroux. Uh, they've never rated a good horse. It's not so you get you you feel a little bit more comfortable, in my opinion, in a big stage like this with big horses and big moments and and a lot on the line that you're gonna you kind of have a better prediction of what they're gonna do because you know what they're best at, right? Randomized. There big wins are wire to wire or, or four. You know, uh, you know a, a dare manner. When was the last time Baffert rated a horse outside of uh, the Travers this year, which when National Treasure didn't find the front end, but. You know, it's one of those situations where it just I feel comfortable in saying that the pace should be fast. Now, like I said, if was a Saturday at Saratoga, there'd be a, a, a significantly lesser uh, confidence in that happening because we see it all the time. Um, I just think the pace is going to be quick. And I think I think trying to get cute and suggest that the pace is not going to be fast is asking for trouble.
0: For me, the horse that leaps out with all these things in mind, and we talked about this a little bit last week on these airwaves with Brad Free, who we were just talking about before, but it feels like Clarier might be the one who has the race most run to suit. David, is that how you see it? Or are you looking for maybe uh, more more even of a boil over something similar to, to what we saw at the Breeders' Cup a couple of years ago with a very big price to closer coming to pick up the
6: pieces late? Yeah, So I'll just put out there, I'm not somebody who likes to formulate handicapping opinions way ahead of time. I want to see the field, the post position draw, all of that. Um, But it it does feel like Clarier is going to get the right kind of setup, but she still has big questions to answer because, I mean, she was arguably a little bit dull when she lost to Nest in that Shuvie, especially considering what Nest has done since then. And then uh, the personal anthem was just a disaster. I mean, maybe she didn't like the sloppy track. It certainly seemed that way. And it was a speed favoring course as well at Saratoga. But it's another year where she kind of has to prove that she can bounce back from a poor effort in the Breeders' Cup. And it's the kind of situation where I'd want to just see what the price is. I mean, if she's seven to two, I don't know if I'd want to take that short a price if she just kind of becomes the consensus clever pick in the race. But if she's six to one, that's probably a good price at a horse like Claryard, given uh, how this race is supposed to set up.
0: Currently in the international betting, a very big price at 12 to one. But I agree, could become everybody's sort of wise guy horse. And that would change things around. How about you, JK? Are there any closers you have your eye on? And did you see any particular excuses for uh, Clarier last time out?
1: No, I mean, I just think she's one of those horses where, like, you know, she's good and she she's really good, but she's not at that level where she, like, is one of those horses you can count on to overcome a bunch of adversity. Um, I, I think when things kind of fall in her lap, she's really hard to beat. And so I'm thinking that it might fall in her lap. We'll see. uh, I'm with David on on how horses are working, where they're drawing, who else shows up. You know, do they all run? Are they not running? What, uh, you know, are they? Do you you hear somewhere that they're gonna try to rate idiomatic? There's a lot of information that could come out between now and then. Uh, But I think that Clarier is definitely interesting. Um, I also think that that a horse like Search Results is interesting. Like we've kind of forgotten about her. I mean, if you like Clarier, you like Malathot. I mean, Search Results was in that category with those horses when they were three-year-olds she's she's had a lot of obstacles and she hasn't really kind of uh given us the consistency that we want from her but you know damn she's been she's been right she was right there with him and i, I honestly i think she ran the best race in the FIPS back when malathot and clarier were running her down it just Irad moved way too early and, and I think she ran the best race that day. So I think she's a little bit interesting too. It just depends on what kind of uh, what, how she's ridden. But with randomized in there as well, you'd like to think that she'd kind of take back a little bit.
0: You'd think stalk and pounce would be the tactics. David, fully understand about We're not holding anybody's feet to the fire for a pick on this show or anything like that. And obviously your selections will be visible in uh, all the DRF coverage and the DRF special edition that will be coming out. People can check back in with that later. But is there anybody else you'd want to name check? It's maybe just an interesting horse that's uh, on your radar heading into this year's Distab.
6: Yeah, it's just the kind of race where I really want to keep an open mind because it feels like there's that potential for chaos. I and mean, we saw something similar in that last Breeders' Cup, Distaff at Santa Anita won by Marsh Lorraine where there was a total pace collapse and a horse that got the right trip and was ready to fire on the day, was able to win at a big price. So I want to see how this field comes up. I want to see if there are some horses that were not, are not really on our radars yet that might be entered. A horse that I'm kind of interested to see if her connections do decide to run is Kijera, who if you saw her last race at Churchill Downs when they finally put her back on the dirt was super impressive. I know she was only beating some of the B-level three-year-olds out there, but I mean, she won that race really uh, convincingly. So I'd be interested to see if a horse like her runs. Uh, There's a horse coming in from Argentina who I have to do some work on still. So it's the kind of race where I want to see who shows up in the starting gate because it feels like this one could be open to a potentially bigger price good stuff
0: david and for those looking up pijera that's x i if you want to google the first two the first two letters uh great stuff on the distaff. the four million dollar breeders cup turf is up next and we bring a man who's a veteran of breeders cups uh internationally famous presenter he is matt chapman matt how are things Thanks, Peter. I, I feel veteran slightly makes me sound like
7: I've, I, I was in the Vietnam War or something and I'm just about walking around still. Uh, the great soldiers you did so much back in the day. But um, yeah, yeah, I am a veteran from the point of view I've been to a lot, Pete, but extremely youthful, I think, was the phrase you were looking
0: for. There you go. There you go. I'll put that in in editing. Um, tell me, how does this crew turning up for the Breeders' Cup turf compared to those in past runnings? Okay, so let's just have a look at the past winners in
7: in relatively recent times. And we've had two ARC winners found and enabled to have won the Breeders' Cup turf. Um, We haven't got an ARC winner this time around, but we have got a horse placed in the ARC. And I think perhaps even more importantly than that, we have a Derby winner. And I think for Breeders' Cup to have a, an Epsom derby winner, and there is only one derby, forgive me, Kentucky Derby is a completely different type of event, obviously, on the dirt, for those immediately shouting at me and saying, what do you mean there's only one derby? What about our derby? Well, it's, it's a completely different type of thing. But if we're talking about a mile and a half on a turf track, there is actually only one derby that matters and when you think of it in those terms peter if the winner of that race the one derby that matters on turf ends up at the world thoroughbred championships at breeders cup then you've kind of achieved your goal in many ways so um coming back to your original question i i don't think it's vintage in terms of strength in depth but i think there are two three four maybe horses who elevate it to a level which means that it has worldwide interest.
0: let's talk about uh augustro dan for a second here this is a horse who when you go through the past performances the highs are very very high and would obviously win a typical renewal of a race like the breeders cup turf but then there's those couple of blips on the radar what happened on those days, and which Augusto Rodin are we going to see at Santa Anita? Well,
7: in many ways, it's the unknown question, or at least the answer to the question is unknown. Um, the it, It's very tricky with Augusto Rodin. I mean, how often, I would say almost never, have you got effectively a champion racehorse. There's a group one winner at two. He's the derby winner. He's the... Um, the big winner over in Ireland of what is seen by many people in Ireland as the most prestigious Martin the Quarter race, the RS Champion Stakes. Um, and in between that, you've got a last of 10 at Ascot in the King George and a 12th of 14 in one of the worst 2,000 guineas ever run at Newmarket. Um, it looked all right on the day, that 2,000 guineas, but with the benefit of hindsight, it was rubbish. So um, it's very difficult to know. Um, there have been seemingly excuses for August Rodan on, on most, well, I, I think the Newmarket race, they came up with excuses. I, I didn't quite go with them, but they came up with excuses of the horse being knocked out of his stride, etc. As of yet, I've not heard anything for the Ascot run. There were rumours that the horse had broken a blood vessel, but when that was put to Aidan O'Brien, he 100% said that wasn't the case. And obviously, back in the day, Pete, we'd all be saying, oh, bang it on late six over in America, you'd be fine. That's not how it works anymore. Um, so in many ways, stateside racing might've been 10 years ago what August Rodan wanted. We don't know though, I'm just guessing there. So the answer again to your question is, I don't know, Pete, I wish I did know, but, and this is what we do know with August Rodin is, you have a mile and a half winner, You have a a mile-and-a-quarter group one winner and you have a mile group one winner. So you've got a three-time group one winner over those different distances. And he he is a horse who I think, if it came down to a slog, would be a very hard horse to pass. And we'll talk about the the race and tactics in a moment, I'm sure. But there's every chance that Aidan O'Brien can turn this into a very strongly run mile-and-a-half. And you would think that would suit August Rodin. But I also think when we get to that, Pete, it will suit one other horse in the race.
0: Let's go right there. Who do you think will also be suited by the truly run mile and a half? Okay, so um, August Rodin
7: is the top one. If if all of them... I mean, we don't know the full field as I'm talking to you, but if Bolshoi, Ballet and Broome are in there, the chances are one of those is going to go to the front, provided they don't miss the break like most Europeans but they have experience of stateside racing. Um, They're going to go off hard, because that's really what they do anyway. It's their running style. Um, Bolshoi Ballet, to be honest, I still feel is a little bit of enigma. And if there was a turn-up, it wouldn't surprise me totally if he was the one. Um, But um, on all known form, of course, August Roden is a better horse than Bolshoi Ballet. Uh, For all that Bolshoi Ballet was sent off much shorter price favorite for a derby once upon a time than August Roden was but anyway we won't get into that now it's it's a long way back in time um King of Steel at the time of asking he could turn up for Breeders Cup I'm actually be a bit surprised if he did but they're saying to me it's about 60% he could run in the turf um and these aren't literal percentages but we're saying like a 60 out of 100 chance and he's about 20 out of 100 to turn up in the classic which sounds unlikely So, King of Steel, I don't know, but I'm not sure a mile and a half on fast ground is really what he wants. Um, Mosterdath brings in good European form and is a danger, but the horse that I think is going to be perfectly suited to this race is Ernesto. Now, Ernesto was well behind August Roden in the Irish Champion Stakes, but he was hampered at one or two occasions, and he was stuck on the rail, and kind of the jockey just gave up in the end. He was beaten seven lengths. It's not, you know, an, unsummit, uh, an insurmountable amount of ground that for Ernesto to make up. Since then, he's run an absolute cracker from off the pace in the arc. Now, when he ran in Ireland, he actually broke well. And the jockey did take him back. But because it wasn't a big field, he couldn't really bury Ernesto. He got buried in the arc. He came through strongly for third although it's still a mile and a half, and I don't think we should kid ourselves. People often say, oh, a mile and a half America, it's like a mile and a quarter back home. It's still a mile and a half. You still travel that distance. Um, And remember over here, our tightest track is probably Chester. And if you spoke to the former trainer Barry Hills about Chester, he would say to you, that's one of the most galloping tracks in the country. So just because it's, Stateside, it's Santa Anita, the bends are tight. You've still got to travel a mile and a half. So, stamina-wise, Ernesto, I think there is a little question mark. But I think if we say, okay, this is probably more like a mile three European style, then I think this could be perfect for Ernesto. And if they bury that horse out the back and Aidan O'Brien thinks to himself... I'll go hard for August Roden, and I can't believe he'll go slow for August Roden, which is always a call more tactic sometimes, but I can't think that really works in the favour of August Rodin. Then I think it really suits Ernesto and, and finally on this, French horses at the Breeders' Cup for me have been something I have always loved because I think the French style of that quickening burst is absolutely suited to turf racing. I think if most of us and obviously, this is a massive cliche because it all depends on the, the type of race. But in general terms, for me, the perfect turf horse in America in, say, an eight-runner field is a horse who finishes or who runs third or fourth, and has a kick. Now, in the Breeders' Cup, you're going to get a slightly bigger field. If Anesto is sitting seventh or eighth, kick down the middle of the track, draw permitting, that's the
0: horse, I think, is the each-way value in the Breeders' Cup turf. I get it. And, you know, it really is a little bit shorter, if only because of that little downhill at the beginning. So I think that strengthens your Ernesto case. Let me ask you this, Matt. What chance do you give the USA runners in this year's Breeders' Cup turf? I mean, practically none. Practically none. Uh,
7: Warlike Goddess is an obvious exception. Um, Warlike Goddess was supreme in beating Soldier Rising last time and was pretty good at saratoga in a grade two and not so good at belmont prior to that uh, Warlike war goddess is a horse i i like a lot but of course as far as stateside racing is concerned up to the mark he's probably the horse that most people are talking about um but i find it very hard to get a grip on up to the mark because of course Beatmaster the seas at keenand over the mile steps up to a mile and a half seemingly because the owners want the prize money, as far as I can see. That seems to be the main uh, factor. of the matter. I mean, OK, let's take this literally. Master of the Seas is a good horse, but he's not a top horse in Europe as far as minors are concerned. That doesn't mean, actually, that he might not play a big part in the Breeders' Cup mile, because the not might not be amazing from Europe. But Master of the Seas is what I would call when he goes into grade one company, you're looking for him to finish in the first four in Europe. When he's in a grade two, you look for him to win. And, uh, I mean, this was only just picked up to the mark, and he just picked Master of the Seas. For me, that means he's got, on our milers probably four, five, six pounds to find. And going over a trip he's never gone before, even though connections might say, yeah, I'd have a go, slap He's actually, you know, there are bits in there you could say he'll say, no problem. Uh, I think, look, in all reality, if I'm being honest, it's very doubtful that up to the mark he's going to be the better than the best of Europe. That's how I see it. He's got, up to the mark, has got to be up to being placed in an arc. And if he was a three-year-old, which of course he's not, having a chance of winning a derby. Do I really think up to the mark is that kind of horse? I'm sorry, Pete, I don't. But you tell me, Pete, you're, you're the American expert. Am I being very harsh?
0: No, I don't think you are. When I look at the depth and quality of this European field, I think he might find himself on the outside looking in, though I would still rate him our best chance. But I think you're seeing it the right way. You make a great case for, for Ernesto As the value and i can't wait to see how it plays out at santa Anita. i will see you out there my friend really appreciate your time today
7: hey just before you sign me off if sharia returned to his best form the japanese runner uh remember he wasn't a massive price against equinox in in he finished fifth to equinox at uh, tokyo in october of last year if that horse bounced back again he'd be a big price now because he's got two flops next to his name you know, the Japanese showed at Breeders' Cup 2022 that you ignore them at your peril. The, you know, this is a, we come back to our original thing, this is not a bad race. I mean, if us in there, Ernesto, August Roden, up to the mark, Sharia, you know, this is good stuff. This is what the Breeders' Cup is all about, and it's why you and me, Pete, will be standing there, screaming our heads off, cheering something home, and just thinking, why isn't everyone on the planet actually flocking to Santa
0: Anita right now because this is just the best game in the world? A true international class can't wait to a clash. Can't wait to see how it plays out. Uh, we'll see you out there, buddy. Cheers, Bonjour, comment allez-vous? The six million dollar Breeders' Cup Classic is up next, and to talk about it, we bring back a very popular returning guest from. NBC Sports from the Buyer Speed Figure team. He's Randy Moss. Randy, how are things?
8: Hey, good. I guess it's better to be popular than unpopular. Thank you for that.
0: (laughs) What an interesting renewal of the Breeders' Cup Classic this is. We've got a clash of generations aspect that we don't always have every year. We've got foreign participation. I'm really excited to get your take on this race where's your eye drawn when you look at these past performances in this year's breeders cup classic
8: interesting is a good way to put it uh where are my eyes drawn Uh, my eyes look like this (laughs) i i i can't uh it's very difficult this year you know maybe is more than any other year in in recent memory uh you know to really be confident about any particular horse. And it's not because like we talk about a lot during the Kentucky Derby, let's say, because there are so many horses with such good form to choose from in this particular case with this classic. Yeah. You've got a lot of horses, uh, you know, that have talent, obviously it's always the case, but it seems to me that there are more horses with legitimate question marks going into this race then is usually the case with the classic.
0: Let's start with the top of the market. Arcangelo comes here in the international markets anyway as a significant favorite. Do you think he deserves that place in the market over some of the older rivals? Probably so. He's one of the few horses in there I think
8: that that don't have, you know, the serious question marks that I was talking about. Now, you know, there are different ways of looking at Archangelo. He wins the Belmont Stakes. Can you say that he was a better horse than Forte in the Belmont Stakes when Forte was coming off a 10-week layoff and still was a length behind him or whatever? You know, maybe not. Uh, but when he won the Travers, people kind of forget. He didn't have the best trip in the world when he won the Travers. He was a he was better in comparison to the horses behind him, I thought, than the margin uh, at the end reflected. And I think Jenna Antonucci has done a fantastic job with him, Uh, you know, in in her words, you know, tuning out all the white noise out there and just focusing on her horse and what she thinks is best for her horse and ignoring everything else. So I like the fact that the horse is coming in fresh off the uh, from the Travers with no race in between. Doesn't bother me at all. I think she knows what she's doing in that regard. And I do think that he is the horse to beat. But again, you're probably talking about the betting favorite, I suppose. Although I think there's a lot of uh, momentum for Arabian Night. Um, so I don't know how much value you're going to get from Archangelo.
0: Let's pivot right to Arabian Night. He certainly has been a bit of a buzz horse heading into this. Do you think there's a chance we'll see him justify that buzz?
8: I, when you watch the Pacific Classic, Uh, I'm not going to try to overthink this. Uh, The immediate aftermath of the the Pacific Classic, I'm like, you know, I want Go Rocket Ride over Arabian Night when they come back in the Breeders' Cup Classic, right? I mean, he had, he controlled a very reasonable pace, which is his game in the Pacific Classic, and Go Rocket Ride was still coming at him hard toward the end of that mile and a quarter. And now... Fast forward, he's going to have to deal, uh, in all likelihood, with Saudi Crown during the first part of the classic. Who, at the very least, you figure will make him run a lot harder early than he had to run in the Pacific Classic. Now you got Bob Baffert; the horse is training fantastic, but all Baffert's horses train fantastic. Um, You know, is he improved? Is he just? uh, I don't know. But I, I can't. He's a bet against to me, based on what what appears to be a, a pretty, uh pretty tough pace scenario. As
0: a speed figure oriented player, I would imagine one of the horses that will be in your reckoning of the race is white Abarrio coming off that huge number at yeah. Saratoga. I feel like he's been under the radar in a lot of discussion of the race here. You have a tough older horse with that giant number laid out for this by a trainer who's won this race before. What are the chances of white Abarrio?
8: Look, Rick Dutrow, if you know, for all the controversy surrounding Rick Dutrow is an amazing horseman. Uh, There was a reason why every time the late Bobby Frankel shipped a horse uh, into a track where he wasn't stabled and Rick Dutrow was there, he would make a beeline and send his horses to Dutrow. He told me personally, Frankel did, that the guy is an amazing horseman. Uh, And I've, you know, that just sort of echoed in my ears every time, you know, I see Dutro with a horse. And now look what he's done with Wyatt Abario. Now, you know, he, he ran pretty well. He ran a better number in the, in the Met Mile. And then, you know, a 110 buyer speed figure in the Whitney. It wasn't a fluke. But what bothers me about Wyatt Abario, um, Dutro's having to deal, apparently, the same thing with Wyatt Abario, as he used to deal with, with Big Brown back in 2008. And that is a horse it's got bad feet and he's already had two aborted workouts leading up to the Breeders' Cup Classic out at Santa Anita uh, in which he was not permitted to breeze because of uh, because of foot issues and you know it's Dutro so maybe the horse trots out there and repeats that 110 buyer speed figure and if that's the case he probably wins but when things aren't going exactly 100% according to plan with a horse that hasn't
0: run since early August, it bothers me. Completely understandable. Here's a general question for you that pertains to a couple of runners in this spot. We saw what the Japanese contingent did out on the West Coast two years ago. We've got a, a couple of Japanese raiders appearing in this year's Classic as a speed figure guy. Are there any hacks? Are there any shortcuts or ways you can estimate what kind of figures the likes of Ushba Tesoro and uh, Dharma Sodagake are going to run?
8: In? Yeah, you can. I don't know how much it's going to help you, but. Uh... <laughs> Let's let's look at, at the at uh, at the Dubai World Cup day. Okay. And we talked about this before the Kentucky Derby. It uh, didn't end very well, for me at least, but Derma Sotogake ran approximately five buyer points faster than Ushpa Tesoro did in the Dubai World Cup. Okay. I estimated, and it's just an estimation. Uh, that's why it's why it's not printed in the form or anything, because we just estimate it. At like a 106 for Dermisotogake and a 101 for Ushba Tesoro. So it was not one of your stronger Dubai World Cup races. So I think you got to keep that in mind when you're looking at Ushba Tesoro. Um, when you look at Dermasotogake in the Kentucky Derby, uh, he didn't get a trip. He was bothered at the start, he was much farther back than he needs to be. Uh, his jockey, uh, Christophe Lemaire, who, who who was my biggest concern about Dermasodagake going into the Kentucky Derby for all the success Lemaire has had, uh, rushed him too much. He moved too early into, you know, one of the faster paces in Kentucky Derby history. So the horse really had no chance the way the race had developed. But what bothers me is he hasn't run since then, uh, which he missed a prep, the same prep that Tesoro ran in and won. Uh, which indicates that he's had some physical problems. And this, again, it's just not the way you want to come in to a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, yes, the Japanese horses kicked ass the last time the Breeders' Cup was on the West Coast. Uh, and yes, I think you've got to give them extra consideration because of that. But I, you know, I don't think Ushba Tesoro... Uh, in my opinion, fits as well, let's say, for the Breeders' Cup Classic as Songline might fit for the Breeders' Cup Mile.
0: I think you can make a much more straightforward case there. I think I'd be accused of a host fail if I didn't ask you about our Kentucky Derby winner, Mage, making his return to the races. Do you think we're going to see more like the Mage that ran under the Twin Spires in May or more like the Mage that uh, toiled down the street here in in Saratoga in the Travers? Good question.
8: Good question. And I, I say this not knowing, you know, not being around the horse and not seeing him train, up close and personal before the Derby or, in and, and now at the Kentucky training center, you know, so I, I don't have any inside information about, you know, how he's training now, vis-a-vis how he trained going into the Derby. Uh, I do, I do know this, at least I have an opinion on this. Uh, as much as I, uh, I like Flavian Pratt as a jockey. And I think he's one of the very best jockeys in the country. I hated the way he rode Mage in the Traverse Stakes. And, I don't know that that can be the complete explanation for a horse who runs last and has beaten 15 lengths. Uh, But he broke sharply. He was going to be up close to a reasonable pace, closer than usual because he didn't usually break that well. If you remember, he had a habit of breaking very slowly in his races. Travers, he broke very well. And then Flavian literally, and he was keyed up, right? He was, he was a little bit aggressive early. And uh, Pratt fought him and broke his jaw to to drag him back in the pack. And I think he just took all the fight out of the horse. He took all the run out of the horse. I don't think, you know, I hated that ride. So I'm going to give him an excuse for the Travers and expect him to bounce back. So I think he will come back to where he was in the Haskell and uh, before that for the Kentucky Derby. The Preakness, again, he's coming back in two weeks, what we've seen recently is that the horses that come back in two weeks that run in the Preakness are at a disadvantage to horses that come in fresh. So I'll give him a little bit of slack for a, what seemed to be a bit of a duller performance in the Preakness. And then if you remember in the Haskell, uh, they were, uh, the ownership was uh, was very straightforward. They were very transparent about the fact that he was going to be short. He was going to be 80%, 85%, 90%, wasn't going to be 100%. And they were going to use the Haskell as a prep to get him ready for the Travers. And their quote to me personally was: if we can run second in the Haskell, it's as good as winning, as far as we're concerned.
0: And that's why that's what happened. So I, I expect Mage to run pretty well. Yeah, maybe an interesting long shot. I mean, they yeah. talk about it. Now it's hard for a Derby winner at post-time to be under the radar, but certainly from that's where exactly. we sit here a few days out, that is the case. Any others in this field you feel like we should get a shout-out to uh, on this show, at, at least? I mean, it's a deep and competitive field, even beyond the ones we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you talk about
8: all these horses with question marks, right? Um, you know, Mage comes off a last-place finish in the Travers. uh, Why the Barrios got the feed issues? Uh, Pace Scenario doesn't set up very well for Arabian Night. You know, the one horse, one of the horses, like Archangelo, who's very consistent, always runs his race, usually not good enough, but who knows it'd be Zanda. You know, I mean, he beat a very weak field last time he beat him like he was supposed to beat him. Uh, he was second to White a and wasn't even basically in the same area code in the finish of the Whitney, but for exotics, you know, he's the kind of horse that you can count on. That's, you know, that's almost always coming with his race. And if you want another horse to throw into exotics that's a real uh, sleeper here, and we're talking probably 40 to one. Um, and his name escapes me right now, real quick. I'm having a brain meltdown here. I can't believe <laughs> I can remember the source's name because I've been talking about him. Senor Buscador. Ah. Uh, this is a horse that uh, uh, has been. I'll just say it. He's been ridden questionably in a lot of his races. Uh, And and by that, I mean, and this absolutely drives Jerry Bailey crazy. Okay. When you have a horse who's at the back of the pack and he's by himself at the back of the pack, he's got the entire racetrack to choose from and the rider keeps him four wide all the way around the first turn. It's as if they think the geometry doesn't matter if it's not the second turn or if there's no other horses around them. They go, oh, look, I've got the track to myself. I can be anywhere I want. It doesn't matter. It does matter. And, and then the horse closes and gets beat a length and a half or two lengths or something, and he gives away two lengths on the first turn. Uh, last time he was ridden, I, I thought, much better. He, saves, he saved a little, a lot more ground than he had before. But he was running on a very speed favoring sloppy racetrack and it probably didn't suit his running style, which is obviously a come from the clouds kind of running style. He should get pace. Uh, He'll be running at the end. Mile and a quarter is great for him, I think. And I would not be surprised at all to see him, you know, come flying down the middle of the racetrack and and get up for third at a uh, at a big, big price, maybe even second. Who
0: knows? a bottom up try or super key something along those lines. Swing the it. Why not? Well, Randy, we're gonna not gonna hold your feet to the fire for selections. We're gonna do that next week when we have okay. you on with Jerry Bailey. But this is a great overview of what promises to be a fantastic running of the Breeders' Cup Classic. Thanks for your time today. Nice to see you, Pete.
1: The Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. I wish it was six and a half down the hill, but the million dollars, five furlongs at Santa Anita. Acacia, uh, I, I, I brought you because really I just wanted to have a love fest for Big Invasion <laughs> together because I know that you're a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. But um, we got to give Caravelle probably the first call here because she is the defending champion of this race.
9: Yeah, she is. And and look, she wanted a big price last year. She's definitely not going to be that kind of price this year. I think that she's gotten a fan following and rightfully so. Look, she's been amazingly consistent, um, which you have to respect. She's she's run good races. She probably didn't prefer the soft turf that she got in Saratoga this summer. She's looking to turn things around in the Breeders' Cup. But like I said, she's a fan favorite and she's going to try to defend her title.
1: Look, I mean, I, I think that I think that the same the phrase I'm going to say now, I think can be applied to two different horses. I think the distance and the firmness of the turf course really could play in her favor. Yeah. I, I think the same thing about big invasion, but we'll start with Caravelle. Look, she's got all that big speed. She ran in a bunch of races against really good horses. The Jiper going six furlong. She made the lead and held on. You like to think that cutting back her speed's going to be even more dangerous for a horse that likes to wire and then. Like you mentioned, I think it was very obvious that she didn't like the the ground at Saratoga. You would watch that race in the stretch. She was bobbling up and down. Now she's gonna get uh, the fast pace. And I'm not I mean the, excuse me, the fast ground. And I'm not really concerned how she ran last time because mm-hmm. to me, you know, Brad Cox isn't gonna have her fully cranked ready to go and then run her back in three weeks. I, I think that that was probably a stepping stone, almost like a work um to set her up.
9: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, he's done a terrific job with, obviously, what's not the easiest mare to train. She definitely had some ups and downs throughout her career, even towards the beginning of her career. And with him, like I said, she's been very consistent, which you have to respect. And she, I think, like a lot of horses, ended up finding the softer turf. If you were in the Northeast or particularly in New York this year, you ended up finding off the turf races or softer turf races. And um, my one question is... Is, is she going to be pressured this year? Because she was able in the Breeders' Cup last year to get pretty comfortable on the front end. She was able to do that in the Jiper. I mean, Big Invasion was closing late and trying to run down a wire to wire winner in the Jiper, which is not necessarily, you know, an easy thing to do. And um, also in Saratoga, while she didn't like the ground, she was pressured as well. So I think the pace will really determine a lot of it. And yes, I too wish it was down the hill, um, but five furlongs at Santa Anita at any track five furlongs is so much about the trip and at the end of the day speed is a big advantage when it's that short it's fast and furious these kinds of races
1: well i'm of the belief that big invasion is also going to like the ground but i also think that he's going to like the five furlongs i know that his big late run and, and it might most might think maybe longer is better for him and yes look i, I think the down the hill would work great for him but I think that with real pace to close into, because I think we're going to see real pacing, yeah. Caravelle will be aggressively ridden because of the shorter distance. There will also be some other pace in there, I would imagine. It's the turf sprint. I think that he's going to have some pace to close into, and his his late kick might actually be more devastating going the five furlongs. What are your feelings on that crazy idea?
9: I know that it's, it's a bit of a concern for him at the end of the day, but I mean – he's been really effective going five furlongs down at Gulfstream as well. And obviously those races were not up to the class of the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. I totally get that, but he's an incredibly athletic course and he's been able to handle it fine all big invasion needs is a trip. I mean, that's just the key with him. Um, the firm turf he should absolutely love. When he won at Woodbine in the, in the New York State last time out, um, first of all, that was the second choice for him because the Belmont turf sprint ended up off the turf. Um, and then he still ended up being on softer turf up at Woodbine. And he didn't really love it. He just had the class to overcome it. Dylan Davis, who wrote him that day, said that he really felt like he he was not a fan of the ground, but he was still able to just be better than what he was facing. So he's going to get the firm turf that he does prefer. He's back at his peak fitness, um, able to come back after the trip over to Royal Ascot and him getting back on track last time. um, He had his final work uh, this morning when we're recording this up in Saratoga and got a chance to see him and he's just doing things easily right now, which you love to see. And that's when, you know, that big invasions at his best.
4: Well,
1: we know those top two are, are my favorites in the race, but I think we probably should give a call to live in, in the dream, who I thought ran a uh, live in the dream, excuse me, who I thought ran pretty well at Keeneland in his first start in North America.
9: Yeah, and he was beaten by Arzac that day, who I think is a horse that he, he's um he's really come to hand for Mike Trombetta as well. But I thought that this was a horse who was coming in, um after running five eighths over in Europe as well. And being very consistent, he has natural speed for a European turf sprinter to come over and have a race here. Stateside, I think is a benefit though. It was at Keeneland versus, um, at Santa Anita, he's shown that he has the speed and the athleticism to handle the five eights. And oftentimes if you're trying to beat European turf horses, which is not an easy thing to do, your best chance to do so is with a turf sprinter, because that's not necessarily kind of their, their game. You know, if you go to the, the turf mile or, or the turf um for breeders cup it's very hard to get around those european turf runners but um this turf sprinter looks like he he could actually be the goods and adds a really interesting layer i think
1: can you solely root for big invasion or do you have (laughs) to show some love to roses for deborah as well
9: oh that's my girl though i i love her too she is just awesome um She's another one, unfortunately, who did not love the soft turf at parks. And if you're questioning how soft that race was after the turf monster, they took the rest of the races of the day off the turf for the rest of the card, um, including the very next race. So it was very soft. She didn't handle it. It's the only time that she has not shown up. Um, she's really cool. And in the neat thing about her is that she has a little bit more tactical speed than a true closing turf sprinter like Big Invasion. Um, in some of her races in Saratoga, she actually broke on top. So she's she is one that can kind of put herself in the right position and not necessarily be a victim to pace. Um, so that's definitely going to be the key. But it'll be a big, big uh, class test for her because she was facing some smaller fields up in Saratoga. And this will be the the chance for her to see what she's actually made of.
1: Keisha, we appreciate you taking the time and best of luck uh, to the Clement crew out Thank at you. the Breeders' Cup.
9: Pizza Bianca uh, right behind me, Breeders' Cup winner. So we'll see if we can add another one to the tally.
1: She liked Southern California.
9: Yeah, she did.
1: Richie, we're going to talk a little bit about the Breeders' Cup sprint. two million million, six six furlongs, which I think is an important part of the conversation. I'm a big fan of elite power. I think that he's been up against it a few times this year from a distance standpoint. From a uh, pace standpoint, I think he's going to appreciate the cutback. I've been wanting to talk to you about this because I know that you've had some experiences on horseback.
10: What do you think about that theory that he'll actually be better going shorter? Well, I agree with you. I think that it just intensifies his closing kick. To me, he is a true closing sprinter. And sometimes, you know, those horses, they'll get seven, eights. They'll get a little bit further, but you want to see the best of them. It's the six furlongs because they can really punch in. They usually get the right kind of pace to run into. And they only have to make that quarter of a mile run. And it's much more intense.
1: You know, obviously he banged heads with Gunite a few times this year. Gunite got the best of them last time that they met. But like we just talked about, that was at seven furlongs. What, what is your feel when it comes to Gunite? Seven furlongs, six furlongs. What do you think kind of gives him his best chance of winning?
10: Well, you know, I've always felt like he's, you know, in their meetings this year, Gunnite has had some tactical advantages. You know, he, he's maybe a little handier, puts himself a little closer. And going 7 eighths, like in the forego, 23-46-1, and he's just galloping upside the lead, that plays into his strength. In the six-furlong Breeders' Cup sprint, they're going to go quicker. And he's going to have to be, you know, chasing a little bit. And I think that plays into Elite Power's hands because he's just going to sit back and be able to make that one punch when he's most effective. He's four for six at the distance. I I think Elite Power really is aided by the turn back to six furlongs. And that maybe sounds a little bit counterintuitive, right? Because Gunite lays up closer. But I think if he's going to get that trip, it's going to be chasing a faster pace.
1: Well, I know people might accuse us of a of an East Coast bias because we were able to see Elite Power and Gunite a few times, but the West Coast has got a nice little hand as well with Dr. Shivel and the three year old uh, Speedboat Beach, who who came back off of a long rest and and ran extremely well against Dr. Shivel in the prep at Santa Anita. Uh, I think Speedboat Beach is sitting on a big race as an improving type.
10: Well, yeah, I think he has the most upside. I don't think we've seen all that he can be. Where I think with a lot of the others. We've you know seen the best they have to offer, which is outstanding and makes them contenders. But Speedboat Beach, he'll, he'll be making his sixth start in the Breeders' Cup. That race off the layoff, he was chasing Dr. Shival, um and just couldn't get by him with the race under his belt. And again, maybe a move forward in him and, and probably a substantial move forward in him. He's very attractive. The thing that keeps luring me back to Dr. Scheivel, though, is the fact that He's four for six at Santa Anita and he's six for nine and never off the board going six furlongs. And you've got to appreciate and admire that kind of consistency.
1: Richie, when it comes to the Breeders' Cup Sprint, I feel like, you know, I'm a big believer in pace makes the race. But, but the Breeders' Cup Sprint, it always feels like horses that are forwardly placed, even if the pace is fast, that speed of the speed sometimes have an advantage. What is it about that race that you think kind of plays the horses that are forward?
10: Well, listen, anytime you come from off the pace, you're a little bit dependent on what kind of trip you're going to get, right? You don't want to go too wide because you're facing very, very good horses. And a lot of times just one little hiccup, you can't make it up. And then if you want to save ground and fight the inside, you've got to deal with kickback. And now some people you know, kind of discredit or discount kickback, but particularly in sprint races, and I can speak from personal experience, it comes back so hard. I mean, it pelts you. So therefore, some horses really don't handle it. They'll start climbing. And also then traffic. You know, how do you negotiate your way through traffic? And it's the Breeders' Cup. Everybody's energy level is amped up, and and they tend to be maybe a little bit more erratic in their moves. Um, You know, I I think they've done something very smart, Breeders' Cup, and moving the Breeders' Cup sprint late in the card because – it used to be the first race in the card and everybody's already amped up to begin with. And then you start out with this, you know, basically mosh pit of a race, right. And nobody's correcting their horse leaving the gate and everybody's bouncing off each other. I think everybody's had a chance to settle into their rhythm, settle into their day and they're not quite as animated, which the sprint's going to bring out anyway. Um, You know, obviously starts are crucial post positions are crucial and this year's uh breeders cup sprint i think is a little bit different than in some past years of course there's speed they're the best sprinters in the world i don't see that blazing devastating speed that we can see signed on in some past years so it's going to create less separation the field's going to be more bunched and lend itself to more traffic and tougher trips
1: Richie, I'm not going to put your feet all the way to the fire because I know we still got a little bit of time with the draw and let's see what happens, but I will put your feet to the fire a little bit. I'm going to make you pick between East or West Coast. I know you're uh, one of the best New York breads I've ever met, but uh, East or West Coast do you think will take
10: this sprint? Wow, that's such a tough question because I I keep on going back to the two horses we talked about from the West Coast, Dr. Shival and and Speedboat Beach, but... I'll be a little bit of a homer. I'm going East Coast.
1: Richie, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.
10: Thanks, Jonathan. Good talking to you that's
0: gonna do it for this edition of the show really appreciate everybody tuning in and especially the help of all of our guests i list them all but it would just take too long i've done that some years as a little challenge to myself this year i'm a little bandwidth challenge writing uh 200 capsule entries about various breeders cup horses we'll, we will we, we know showing off on the show but there will be some more thank yous our founding partners 10 Strike Racing, and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. So great to have had them with us from the beginning around here. We always love to root for the purple and black. And if you're somebody who wants to give to Thoroughbred Aftercare and the great work that the TRF does with humans and horses, there's still time to take advantage of the Hay Drive matching guarantee. Mention that. As a note, when you leave your donation, if you donate 200, we'll round up a bottle of in the money whiskey to send you as a thank you. We've got these bottles of rye, four year old rye, delicious empire rye aged a further four months in apple brandy barrels. It's delicious and showing very, very well. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. The show's been a production of in the money media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos. you're in the thoroughbred racing industry or interested in getting more involved i want to recommend that you attend the rtip conference out in arizona going to be happening in early december And there are great panels. Really looking forward to several of them this year. The Storytellers panel is always amazing. There's going to be some great information on Category 1 stewarding on CAWs, the computer-assisted wagering players. It's also just a Grade 1 networking opportunity. I've gone the last few years, and I don't plan on missing one. And if you want to attend, you can. Go to the RTIP website. You can get there through our pretty link. In the slash RTIP and look into getting your tickets today.